They had all our intel. That would explain the ambush. How could we have left ourselves so vulnerable to a security breach? I don't think we did. You think someone infiltrated our defenses? Possibly. It would have to be someone cunning and resourceful enough to gain access to all our plans. But that still wouldn't explain how they got our intel. No, you're right. They wouldn't act alone. They'd have someone working with them. A spy, sir? But who would want to betray our troops to the Seppis? There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars Binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher at UNC, and in Denver, Colorado, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. We are tackling the last of our binge episodes in season one of The Clone Wars. All right. So, departing the first season... It feels like we barely got started. <laughs> we actually held off a good one here for the end of Act 1. Yeah. Uh, this episode is Season 1, Episode 16. It's called The Hidden Enemy. Uh, this is technically the second episode, chronologically, of all the Clone Wars. First one is Cat and Mouse. This is the second one. And then the third one is actually the Clone Wars animated film. Oh. And actually, as I talk, and I know that you saw the Clone Wars animated film 12 years ago. I, mean, I was going to say, when it came out, <laughs> yeah. I, do, I don't know that I've gone back to it since. It might, it's kind of fun. I, I, I revisited it just a couple months ago and actually really enjoyed it. A messenger we are sending with important orders for General Kenobi. See to it that she gets there as fast as possible. Yes, sir. I will personally take an unloaded ship to drop her off. I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to make some time for that. Yeah. When we were prepping for, which one? The Senate one, Hostage Crisis. Oh, yeah. I watched through it because it's got all the huts. Oh. That baby hut kidnapping and... Yeah, okay. So, but it begins, that whole uh, movie begins on Christophysis, which is the setting for this episode. For this episode, yeah. It's, it's really not important to the binge itself. The reason that we're actually jumping into this episode is, in my mind, this is a great little Ventress episode. Does some more Obi-Wan, Anakin, character building, dynamics. And uh, it's got another wrinkle on the clones that just, you know, what do you call that when you know that things have, not everybody's trustworthy and reliable. And so that's part of all the possibilities moving forward. Life? <laughs> yeah, I think that's life. <laughs> Real life. <laughs> well, you're, you're kind of on edge. Somebody might, here might be shady and throw everything off. Oh, yeah. I like having that element as a possibility with the clones. Yeah, just that almost uh, foreshadowing isn't quite the right word, but that, that like somebody having sort of uh, the prediction that something can go wrong and, and almost like a forecasting, like, oh, that's interesting. We talk all about Josh Whedon all the time and him killing off characters, but if you're if you're watching those types of properties, Game of Thrones, oh yeah, Breaking Bad, I mean, your favorite character might might get killed any minute here, and it kind of it ups the anxiety. That was at least that was at least the nice thing about Mad Men. It's like your favorite character 
might just be fired from the agency, but you'll know they'll mo- go on to live a unfulfilled, sad life, <laughs> hap- you know, for- forever and ever and ever. So at least they weren't dead. That was the nice thing about that show. Well, the proverb here says, truth enlightens the mind, but won't always bring happiness to your heart. Yeah, seriously. That was another one, too, where that, that proverb popped up, and I was and I was like, I have never related to something more in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> There is a cynical side to that, I suppose, if you want to go down that road. Yeah. I mean, ignorance is bliss is ex- the, the antithesis of this proverb. Yeah. <laughs> Knowledge is sorrow. <laughs> the Russian president was just in the news, and he essentially said that to a to a room full of reporters when they, they were asking him serious questions about how he was conducting stuff with his citizens. And he essentially just blew it off by saying, life is total misery. Why would you think that, that, that I would do something positive? Why would it be, why would it be any different in here? <laughs> oh, yeah, he doesn't care. What, what are they going to do to him? Well, the narrator says, A planet under siege. Socrates forces mercilessly batter the beautiful and elegant world of Christophsis. Unable to defend themselves any longer, the people of Christophsis call on the Jedi for assistance. Hoping to save lives and prevent further destruction, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker plan a daring ambush which could turn the tide in the fight for this crucial star system. We see scenes of an emerald city that's overrun. We see locals being shot and killed in the streets by droids. And we cut to the Jedi Council and they're deliberating. Anything we're saying before we get into this new location? Yeah, it feels like I, in, in other episodes of the show, we've talked about the kind of creeping slow spread of fascism. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's just a, like you, you really see that like slowly it, it just takes over these like resplendent cities. And, and unfortunately, sometimes you can't sit and twiddle your thumbs trying to decide how you handle the problem because then the problem continues to spread and th- and that's what it feels like to me it's like while while the council is very slowly taking their time this thing is just sucking up planets left and right yep and that's actually a big part of the opening scene in the clone wars animated movie is they say exactly that Jabba requests that anyone who can help us find his kidnapped son send any information they have immediately we must help Jabba this is the opportunity we've been looking for. The Jedi must rescue Jabba's son. Mm, I don't like it, dealing with that criminal scum. This is a dark day for the Republic. I agree, my friend, but what choice do we have? The Huts control the Outer Rim, and we'll need their space lanes in order to move our troops. There is more to this kidnapping than it seems. Then you must send as many Jedi as you can. Impossible, Chancellor. The droid General Grievous has our forces spread thin. The only Jedi we can spare are Skywalker and Kenobi. They just captured the planet Christophsis. Then contact them immediately. These guys. Yeah. But this city being, having lived in Chicago for a while here recently, this this, uh, setting struck me as a Chicago Star Wars city. I don't know if that hit you. But it's not the green, but the shapes of the buildings struck me as having a Chicago style. Yeah, a little. Christophysis is an outer rim planet. And following this episode, as we said, is going to be 
the arrival of Ahsoka. It's going to be the first time that Anakin, Ahsoka, and Kenobi all meet. They meet at the beginning of that movie. And she and Anakin are going to have to push back, you know, the Separatists who we see arriving at the end of the episode. And that's their first kind of journey together, adventure together. And that's how the movie, it doesn't culminate there. That's kind of the, the opening act. Oh, that's in, uh, now I'm really going to have to revisit this. Bang. Because I really don't remember any of this at all. Because again, it's been, it's, yeah. it's been a minute, but. Now that you've warmed up to Ahsoka a little bit, there's still kind of clunky dialogue and the, you know, and the animation style looks like this. And, and this episode is right. very early and you can tell. That was, that was the first thing I thought when I watched it. I was like, ah, right. We're going back. Right. But I, uh, as I said earlier, I, I, I just really like this episode to set up Ventress for the arc that we're going to look at next time. Yeah, because you just kind of, it's like just a just a little tease mm-hmm. of, a, of a very like visually compelling character. There it is. You know, somebody we haven't really seen anybody like that before in, in the Star Wars. Well, we zoom in on a city and it's got that emerald look. I said, like stone fields that are extending outwards, and there are these high rises, and we see Kenobi in one of the buildings looking through binoculars and signaling to Anakin in the 501st. Both are in these high rises above the city. Kenobi says, Anakin, how are you doing over there? We're set. I've got some guys here that are anxious to get going. Glad to hear it. And then we see Commander Cody exit an elevator with some men. We're back, General. Kenobi. Good. The show is about to begin. Just not the show you think. This one, like the over-the-top, suave Roger Moore. It's out in full force. It's all over this episode, uh, especially when a lovely lady arrives. Yes. A lot of Bond villains who are female are not the head bad guy. They're working for the... Yeah, they usually are a second in command. Real similar, I suppose, to to Han's love interest in Solo. Oh yeah, what, um, she's she's essentially a slave of Dryden Voss's character. Yeah, Kira. Kira, that's right. She don't learn until the very very end. <laughs> and him yelling at her through the airport security. Kira, yeah, I'll come back. I'll come back. Hallmark of every romantic comedy. Yeah, who hasn't had that happen to him? Just dragged away. No one I've ever met. <laughs> I get pulled out every single time when I go through airport security. I'm 6'3". I mean, I have olive skin, and I don't know if that matters, but it, it's um, <laughs> but, but it is the case that I get pulled out every single time. Oh, that's wild. I, didn't, I did not know that. We have a small room here for you. But you hit the lottery. Let's see what you've won. Let's see what you've won. Glove snap. (laughs) (laughs) While you're back there, would you check for whatever the cancer is? Right. (laughs) If you're going to look, this is invasive. You might as well help me out. (laughs) This is why I drive now. Okay, so Cody turns uh, to a trio of soldiers who are next to Kenobi. How's that cannon coming, boys? We'll have this one back in business in no time, sir. And we see around a thousand battle droids through his binoculars. They're marching through the streets toward the city. And they are followed by a dozen AATs, which are the, what, separatist tanks? Yeah. 
clone lookout says. And, I'm seeing a full battalion coming right on schedule. And then, yeah, and then he freaks out. <laughs> tanks, they're all tanks. Yeah, it's it's an imposing thing to look at too. I mean, it's it's very like oh oh, it just keeps coming. Truth, tanks in the city square are always they're a thing. So I got I got a fun story about this. There was a president who will go unnamed, but he wanted to do a big military parade. And I have a buddy who works for the folks who throw said parades. And it was made clear to the military that when they have this military parade in downtown Washington, D.C., that the tanks would not be removed from the uh, semi-truck trailers that brought them in. So they like pulled the tanks in on these big flatbeds and left the tanks on the flatbeds. And there's there was the parade. And it was a very clear message to the military about how they were going to do things. So everyone knew there's a big difference between having the tanks on the flatbed and having them actually rolling down Pennsylvania Avenue. Some people in high authority didn't know that there was a difference. <laughs> but these guys were being very clear. This is how we're going to handle these sorts of things well tanks rolling down a city street i mean i feel like there's there never has been and, and there never will be a time when that means anything good right like tanks actually being driven down a street are an indicator that like things have fallen yeah i mean it was one of the top guys who made that decision and that's why he made the decision it was just kind of like what you were saying with the intro to this episode when fascism comes and it, it wants to be seen as powerful, it looks a certain way. Yeah. Okay. It's autocratic governments of, of that sort. The other thing that kind of comes to mind, if you haven't seen PBS's documentary on Tank Man, it is wonderful. Okay. Def, just worth YouTubing. Just YouTube Tank Man. It's about the TM and Square massacre. Oh. About 20, 20 or 30 years ago. And that's an image of, of tanks in the city streets mowing down civilians. And then a civilian response that is just historically so important. So we're finding. I'm sure you've yeah, seen definitely. this. I'm sure you've seen this photograph. Oh yeah, I've seen I've seen the photograph. I just I have never seen the the, the I've never seen that. All the lead up to it is just it's it's amazing. It really is an incredible story all told. Yeah. And we see a tactical droid who's leading and directing the forces from on top of one of the tanks. And one clone, whose name is Gus, is looking out. And apparently, his army has set a trap. And he's ready for this battalion. And he is saying, A little closer. And then he gets shocked and he says, They're splitting up. Cody looks over. What? Kenobi. Something's gone wrong. Prepare all troops for... And then I said, battle droids, knowing exactly where Kenobi's forces are, exit the elevator, uh, and they begin, they shoot four clones dead, and they advance into this, this room that Kenobi and his men are in. Kenobi ignites his lightsaber, his men turn to fight. Lots of disorder. Abort the mission! And Kobe's assistant yells, Our position's been compromised! You got anything? At the beginning of this episode, I feel like we see them more prepared and more confident than 
at least in the binge, than mm-hmm. we've seen them be. Each time we've seen them in <laughs> battle or about to go into battle, there, sure. there's a feeling of like, oh God, here we go again. But this is the only time where it begins and there's like clearly, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, just a little further, just a little further. Like we're, we're in the sweet spot. And then for it to suddenly become confusing and feel like you don't know what's going on. And then the next thing you know, a door opens and here comes the battle droids. It's like, wait, what? That's really funny. They actually have their stuff together <laughs> um, here, which is very uncommon. <laughs> yeah, they're fully prepared and ready. And and had it not been, you know, compromised. Well, Anakin from a different building says, "Obi Wan, what's going on? We're cut off. The droids are on to us." With I will say that typical like Anakin Skywalker, he knows more than everybody else. So if something hasn't happened, it must be because someone else is making a mistake. Right? Like he j- just <laughs> unnecessary. That makes sense. Smug. And we see battle droids marching down the hallways, and they seem to be entering Kenobi's perch from now from all sides. Anakin says, "Gunship, come in, Hawk. We need an evac in the south tower." Hawk who's a clone flying a gunship above the city. And one of the few clones here in this early episode that's actually painted his armor already. Oh, yeah. I just thought that was a fun little detail because this was another one of those episodes that I could not figure out who was who. Nope, same. Couple couple face tattoos, got some bad haircuts. Uh, one some dude's got a... Bad facial hair. Yeah, that's about all I was working on <laughs> or working from. <laughs> yeah, bad sideburns on the one guy sideburn guy and then there's a a man with a half his face burned off eh, get you where you need to be yeah we remember that guy <laughs> that, that guy was easy chopper we knew we knew who chopper was yeah roger that sir we're coming cut back and rex says south tower we're in the north not for long slashes open the window pushes it out rex fire your cables and then clones come in behind him and shoot cables into Obi-Wan's building. And Anakin and six other clones begin sliding across this chasm. One, I, I like that they routinely do this. You know, they're sliding down those wires, and then one gets clipped by a laser that's being shot from below. Falls to his death. With a truly panicked scream. Yeah. What are they, isn't that called the Wilhelm scream or something like that? that I think that? it might be... Uh, you know, D. Bradley's version of that. It's a, he essentially. Oh I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I think he just goes out, goes ahead, and. Yeah, that is a. They know you're falling, and you know exactly what's going to happen yeah. to you. But the animators aren't playing around with clone deaths. They get no and eaten by eels and falling from high rises and <laughs> just. I guess that's a nice thing with having so many of them. You can never come up with enough. Just horrible deaths. I think that's it. Like in Groundhog Day when there's just a montage of him trying to get out of the cycle of repeti- <laughs> repetitiveness. Well, Anakin crashes through a window, hacks apart a half dozen droids, making room for his team who are still coming up behind him, yells... This way is clear. How did you get over here? I improvised. Obi-Wan then throws a large machine into the remaining battle droids in the room, and the two Jedi and the clones get in a large freight elevator that takes them up to the rooftop. 
Yes. Want to talk about this constant rhythm of Anakin routinely saving Obi-Wan? They, they like make this a point and often make it a point at the beginning of episodes. Yeah. He he does save him, but I feel like he also creates more problems for him. Oh, there so you go. Like, True. I've saved you, but I found the most complicated, complex, dramatic, and explosive, literally, way <laughs> to come in here and save you. And now everybody knows we're here, so now we also have to deal with all this. But hey, I saved you. Yep. And now you're working twice as hard. At least it's a reciprocal relationship. <laughs> it's not. It's not just all, I saved you, I saved you, I saved you. It's actually the case that Obi-Wan is routinely doing some work here as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just, we make, Definitely. We make things work, Annie. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a partnership, no matter how uh, maybe dysfunctional it might be. Well, this gets referenced at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith in, in a line I really like. Let's be fair. Today, you are the hero, and you deserve your glorious day with politicians. All right. Well, you owe me one, and not for saving your skin for the tenth time. Ninth. That business on Cato and Amoidia doesn't, doesn't count. I'll see you at the briefing. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I was, I was technically fine that one time. <laughs> I owe you $800. That other $100, that doesn't count. Yeah, it's $750, not $800. It's not as high as you're making out there, pal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then apparently Separatist soldiers have gotten up on the roof, and this rooftop battle begins, and they're waiting on a helicopter. There's no reason that any of the action here should remind us of uh, Die Hard, but watching it, that's all I could think of. <laughs> was uh-huh. was uh, that helicopter scene at the top of Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. Well, the 12 or so clones left are pushed to the edge, and we see more and more battle droids flooding the roof alongside a tactical battle droid, which is there. Hawk's gunship arrives, and there's a scramble to get onto it, but as they're leaving... An unmarked clone jumps on the tactical battle droid and just rips his head off. Like like you do. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah, get some. What do you call that in military terms? It's like a person of interest. It's that's a that's an important target. He apparently knows enough to be like, okay. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that down. <laughs> if you can grab that guy. He might have some information. I suppose I didn't think about this. It's an interrogation scene with a droid. How do you interrogate a droid? You just rip his head off and, and then take it back to your and base. Later you plug it in. Yeah, <laughs> later you plug it in at your base, and it tells you all the things that you need to know. Right. Star Wars. After, but not. At, but first, speaking a very scary, horrifying language that's never been heard in, <laughs> in uh, millions of years. It's a Star Wars version of waterboarding here. <laughs> it's head ripping off. <laughs> we prefer to call them enhanced interrogation techniques yeah, in the Star Wars universe. That's what I meant. It's yeah. Beheading is apparently on the list of things Cheney approved. <laughs> and it, not only that, but encouraged <laughs> and enjoyed. If you could just rip off the droid's head, that'd be great. Helped him sleep a little better at night. <laughs> well, this is horrible. Well, we go to a black ops site, apparently. <laughs> they are on. A, they're uh, they're essentially in a military base outside the city. That's true, yeah. And Rex says over the head, maybe this tactical droid will tell us how they knew our plan. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Let's plug them in and find out. It, it might. 
Well, Rex and Cody are examining the droid head on a computer. Plug, you know, they plug their things in, and it begins to speak. The Republic Army is in the North and South Towers, level 46. It just doesn't make sense. And then it fizzles out. Anakin and Obi-Wan arrive. Blast! Oh, at least we're not the only ones having a bad day. Cody. Generals. They had all I intel. That would explain the ambush. How could we have left ourselves so vulnerable to a security breach? I don't think we did. You think someone infiltrated our defenses? Possibly. It would have to be someone cunning and resourceful enough to gain access to all our plans. But that still wouldn't explain how they got our intel. No, you're right. They wouldn't act alone. They'd have someone working with them. A spy, sir? But who would want to betray our troops to the Seppis? Excellent question, Commander. Perhaps it's time we made a visit behind enemy lines. I think we'll find our answers there. We'll get right on it. That seems like a really extreme solution to me. Yes, it does. We were planning this trap. All of our people are in place. We're trying to draw out that entire army over there into our space. And so the solution is to go... To go into their space. Right. Let's just go over there. I bet we could ask somebody. They'll never expect that. <laughs> that would be insane. Great, let's do that. I suppose it is a very Star Wars sort of story to tell to have the heroes going into the enemy military base. Okay. How do we blow it up? There's always a way to do that. Han's right. I can do it. I like this guy. But I have to be there on the planet. We'll get you there. <laughs> it's all over Star Wars all the time. Cody says, We'll get right on it. No, Captain. I need you here to find the security breach. You can count on us, sir. One more thing. This mission is extremely confidential. The spy could be anyone. Let no one know of our mission. Understood, sir. Send out the plot. You, you got any thoughts here? No, yeah, I think it's it's a lot of exposition really quickly. Bang. There's a spy. We got to go find who, find out who it is and, and why and how we were compromised. Worthwhile, you know, story that gets told. Story of the spy in your ranks. You got, you got any thoughts on uh, or any, any movies that come to mind with that? as the premise yes actually uh a movie that i saw excuse me a movie that i saw f a few months ago that was based off of a true story it was called the courier mm -hmm. with benedict cumberbatch and rachel brosnahan I, and i saw this oh okay yeah I, I haven't talked to very many people who had but um i thought it was all right i really enjoyed it like i, I thought it was one of those like real espionage movies where it's yeah. not james bond it kind of it's like here's what this probably looked like mm -hmm. but it had all the really great elements of like traveling into other countries, bringing secret information and secret intel and keeping things a secret from your family and people who know you and then not being sure if you can even trust, you know, the people who were around the people who are around you. Um, and just the added element that it's based off of a true story and that was a real guy and, mm -hmm. and how much information him and his his Russian partner managed to smuggle in and out of of Russia is phenomenal. This is unexpected. I can't believe I'm actually having lunch with spies. <laughs> I know what they were trying to do there. There's the spy element, but then there's there's another point in that movie that's that's real emotionally powerful where Cumberbatch is the courier to that spy of different information. And it's said very boldly 
and with tears and ah, it was it was moving. Oh yes, uh, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I mean, we can say it's based off of real, but yeah. The Cuban Missile Crisis is over, so we could yeah prob- we probably we, move on. We averted. <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. We're all still here. Um. Yeah, that's a great scene of when he's finally able to tell that guy in in prison in sort of the last probably the last moments of his life that we were successful yeah and that's a that's super powerful yeah for the win i really enjoyed bridge of spies it's a spielberg tom hanks yeah. movie and uh the gentleman who plays the the russian spy in that i thought was was really, really yeah that's quality. a that's an actor named mark rylance yeah and he is insanely talented yeah. uh, on both stage television and screen he's he's um i don't believe he is anymore but for a long time he was the artistic director of the globe theater in london really yeah and he programmed a lot of really excellent shakespearean productions including kind of going back to shakespearean traditions where you have casts of all men and they performed toured and then took to broadway in rep a production of 12th night and Richard the Third, where in that production he played Olivia, and then in the other one he played Richard the Third. Oh, interesting! And they're they're phenomenal to watch. Yeah, like, that guy is like when I when I think of like an actor, somebody yeah. who is an like really an actor, couldn't care less about being famous, couldn't care less about recognition. They just want to make really quality work. That's that dude. Right. Has a couple crushing lines in Dunkirk. Full speed, people. Keep coming around. Keep coming. Before he fires, he's gonna drop his nose. I'll give you the signal. Oh yeah, he's one of the uh, boat captains. Yeah, like civilian people who's just captaining a boat, piloting a boat. You don't say driving a boat. What do you say? I don't know. <laughs> Sailing. Oh yeah, the obvious, <laughs> the <laughs> obvious one. <laughs> driving a boat. No, <laughs> he's when he's talking about his. He's obviously gone through the grief of losing his son in the war early, and the when when that comes out in the movie, uh, just yep, just crushing. Well, we then see a beeping comlink. Someone left his comlink on. Someone has been listening to everything we said. And then Rex sees someone in the distance. Hey, stop! Who's that? I'll follow You take the west corridor. And I'm on chase it. ensues through the hallway. They end up going different ways, coming together, almost kill each other, you know, like you do. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> Rex looks to his right. He must have gone in the mess hall. Cody looks around and there's a ton of clones, obviously, sitting there. And he says, We've got a big problem. Yeah. The only people in here are brothers. And I personally suspect the clone with the pink mohawk that's sitting there on the right. I mean, that yeah. was just what I thought. I was like, pink mohawk guy, that's the, that's the one. Yeah, any, any, the guy with the worst hair might have done it. <laughs> that's going to be a temptation for detectives, uh, you know, watching this, this show for the first time. Yeah, the, the worst hair or the worst nickname. <laughs> I didn't even see that coming the first time I saw it. I was like, how did they pin it on that guy? (laughs) The minute they said the name, I was like, it's that guy. (laughs) 
you're way you're way better at this than I am. <laughs> I, I'm usually not, but like this one, I was like, yeah, it's him. That's a stupid nickname. It's him. Well, we cut back to the command room. One of us. Great. But which one? We'll have to wait for his next move. Keep this to ourselves. Better contact the Jedi. I'm on it. And R2-D2 is actually a character throughout who's just been a side character, but has, uh, at this point kind of beeps in ways that emotionally reinforce how we should feel that this is bad news. Right, yeah. Always helpful. The other thing that we obviously know here is that Anakin and Kenobi are in danger. And apparently they've decided to just go across the lines of the enemy. Fools. So we cut down to the city street and we see the two Jedi on bikes. And it's dark and we see a dozen droids taking firing positions above them. And there's triangulation and they're ready to go and... Don't shoot. Just keep their communications jammed. Roger, Roger. Love to come back to this. I don't know why it is that Ventress wants to pull them in. What's her motive for wanting to get them to come after her? Because I assume that's what's going on here, yeah? Yeah, I would assume just curiosity and theatricality, which seems (laughs) to be important to a lot of the Sith. Right. Like, why? I mean, we could just bang, bang, couple of shots from out of sight. Or, you know, I can have a dramatic reveal and unrobing and then pull out some lightsabers and then say some, like, awesome stuff that clearly they... Like, you know that all of those characters, when they're behind the blast doors before they open, they're just, like, rehearsing those lines in their head. We're like, this is going to be awesome. Like the story about Oscar Wilde when he goes through customs and they're like, anything to declare? And he's like, only my brilliance. <laughs> that that wasn't I, that was not off the cuff. Like you know, like none of those like badass lines that people say like when a door opens and they're there. Like they were just going through that in their head over and over again. Like oh yeah, Obi Wan Kenobi. I knew. Well, I could say like maybe. Oh, I knew. And then the doors open and they say it. Like it's not off the cuff. Whose uh, funeral is it? Yours. <laughs> I have a have an acquaintance uh, who's a scholar in New Testament studies, and during the height after nine eleven, when you know it really was uh, entering the country was problematic, and they really were asking strange questions that would you would it wouldn't be you memorize these twenty numbers kind of thing, right? Um, and he you know is dressed up like clergy. And, and and uh the guy says, uh, clergy, huh? So is that what you do? He says, Yes. He says, Say what's uh what's John three sixteen then? And and my buddy recites it in Greek just verbatim. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then he had a story for the rest of the week <laughs> to tell her right. So I'm going through customs, see? <laughs> but he's that kind of guy that like real sharp. That's amazing. Knows ancient languages. and You know what? Also when you like, get your chance. Also pick like the football verse. <laughs> well, it's. I think it's, you can dress up. I think what it was is you're dressed up like clergy, but it's, 
And did you ever see Cannonball Run? It's like the the guy the the ladies <laughs> yeah, dressed DeLuise. up. Yeah, Dom DeLuise is the priest in that, isn't he? <laughs> well, there's the ladies dressed up like nuns. Oh yeah. The whole premise is who can who can drive across the country the fastest, and that's how they're going to get uh, speeding tickets. Is they dress up as nuns. That's right. I think it's that kind of logic. They're like, I'm on to you, sucker. <laughs> so, well, we go back to the ship with Rex and Cody. We can't reach General Kenobi. Whoever it is has blocked our communications. We're gonna have to find this guy ourselves. I too. Come over here and plug in. What are you doing? The guy got his messages out there somehow. Just gotta find him. What do you think? He just sat down and wrote a note? You have to start <laughs> somewhere. Rex always seems a little bit sharper than Cody. Yes. I don't, I don't think it's just the edge. I think he also... I mean, it's it's like he's he's a good soldier, a little bit a lot more practical. Yeah, I would agree. We then cut back to Anakin and Kenobi on their bikes. On their bikes, that sounds like they're two kids. <laughs> Just <laughs> bring bring. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the city streets. It's dark, and it's actually they have you know guns pointed at them from all directions. We appear to have picked up some friends. Indeed. In fact, I believe the number of eyes watching us has been steadily growing. It's that the James Bond it, starts yeah. clicking up here. Is all over this. Great. Perhaps this means our adversary has learned about our mission. Perhaps it does. I was like, of course it does. <laughs> what else does it mean? Like, well, yeah, you're being watched. <laughs> you're being watched. It just stands to reason that, yeah. Of course, <laughs> nobody's tried to stop us yet. Also true, they want us to get to the Separatist headquarters. Which means this is a trap. I imagine it is. Well, that's unfortunate for them. And Kenobi smiles. <laughs> is the trap Ventress just thinks that she can take these two guys down? Because <laughs> that's really all that happens. I don't even. I don't actually feel like it's a trap. I feel like it's an introduction. It's like I am. Yeah. I was the one that figured out what you're doing, and I was the one who screwed up your plan. Look at me. Like it's, yeah. I think it's a, like I said, I mean, I said theatricality earlier. Right? I think it is very much like I am going to be a problem for you throughout this. The character wouldn't say this, but like throughout this series, you will be dealing with me. Right. <laughs> she just wants a little attention. Yeah. And rightfully so. They don't go down this path, but I wonder if they weren't trying to set up kind of a Kenobi Ventress love interest thing here. And I mean, there's a bunch of lines in this episode that seem to imply that. Oh, very much so. Right. So I don't know if that maybe she's she just she just wants some kisses is actually what she wants. Don't we, don't we all? We go back to Rex and Cody. Don't we all? That I would. We have said that one of the big problems with both the Jedi and the Sith is that they're not uh, able to embrace love as a virtue that's transformative. This. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. They had made more of an endeavor to to kiss and not punch. We could be in a whole a whole lot more healthy places. That's what turned out better. Back to Rex and Cody. They're looking at a device with communication frequencies. Rex, Atu's found something. What is it? Is it the traitor? I'm not sure. Maybe. What is he looking for? Wavelength interference. Weak frequencies, spotty, irregular. See how it shows up every few days, then disappears? Day to day, you wouldn't notice it. 
What? It's the pattern. The band's only coming off one terminal in the whole base. Check it out. Her. Slick's barracks. Oh man, you can definitely trust a guy named Slick. Only Slick's men would have access to that terminal. Yeah. Oh man, the only other thing more dishonest about that would be if his name was Honest Johnny. <laughs> Slick's not gonna like that. No, he's not. You're giving Slick the benefit of the doubt, though. No, that's not very slick. But if one of his men is giving away our intel, we have to find him and sort this out. That is some magician trickery. It's it's saying, oh, here's where we're going to discover the problem. It's with Slick's men. Or is it? And let's now go and look at all five of Slick's men. Who all look very suspicious <laughs> with their stupid haircuts and stupid facial hair. It's true. Is there anything we're saying about senior military officers doing detective work? Probably. <laughs> this, off, this often happens in the Clone Wars, where I'm like, you're in charge of 40,000 men. Oh. <laughs> How are you the one, you know, scraping the gum off the shoe and saying, look, the killer, <laughs> you know, right. stepped over here, but prior to the murder. Also, you are in charge of so many men. How It's like movies when it's like, it, movies set in New York where it's like, all right, we got to interrogate every police officer in this city. In New York City? Yeah. How long is yeah. that going to take? <laughs> right. Well, Anakin and Obi-Wan then arrive at a dark building. Got the same kind of lines, still real pretty, and yet this one feels very sinister. Yeah, like like in The Wizard of Oz when they're walking up to the witch's castle and there's the sign that says i'd turn back if i were you <laughs> like that's it feels like that should be out in front of this building <laughs> not one of the posh high rises not not welcoming like cabrini green in the 80s <laughs> that's it it does candy man's gonna come out of there it, it does feel like an 80s building in 2020 where you're like i, I think they stopped <laughs> cleaning the windows yeah, i'm pretty sure pennywise lives in the refrigerator here let's not go in there that's exactly it well, anakin says no guards no barricades huh you'd think the separatist headquarters would be better protected it doesn't need to be because look at it it's <laughs> it's like having a face tattoo of a swear word like no one's gonna met that like that guy has the f word tattooed on his face like that guy doesn't need a weapon and as we know from this podcast there's there's no going back from a face tattoo true facts but clearly keeping us out is not what they intend a lot of like pointing out the obvious here right. from obi-wan kenobi but like i guess because he's got a cool accent it's fine right it's like boy there's people watching us yes but we're not dead yet mm -hmm, <laughs> correct because we're still talking they also have a drunk camera man. I'm sure this is intentional because they're coming in kind of sideways and making you feel unbalanced as you're watching. And all of it has that, yeah, that style. And we cut back to a clone meeting with Rex and Cody and Slick, who says, No, no way. My guys are the best. No way they're capable of something like this. Something like what? And then soldiers enter. You called them here. Of course we did. We're getting to the bottom of this. Now, look, let me have a few minutes with them first. It's gonna hit them hard. They trust each other, and if one of our own betrayed us... I don't think that's necessary. You men are tough, right? Take a seat, gentlemen. 
We have a turncoat in our midst, and we think it's one of you. So everyone sits. There's going to be an interrogation. Oh, I like to use the word turncoats. It's like a very, like, 1920s gangster movie <laughs> word to use in Star Wars. <laughs> We're looking for a rat. <laughs> like, You're not going to finger me so easily with this? Come on. Hey, see? This is a lame connection, but... Oftentimes in fiction and literature, some of the best pieces start and end in the same way. And since this is one of the first episodes, you'll notice that one of the last episodes also has an interrogation, although we called it a tribunal because that was the name of the ship. And that, mm -hmm. that image of uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this is here. It's at the very end, and it's at arguably the most important set of stories in the Clone Wars, which is going to be stuff that happens with Ahsoka being falsely accused of some stuff. And we'll get to that arc eventually, but just worth naming. It's, it's when it's, I don't know that that's like an original trilogy kind of story. It's something that they bring in, in the clone Wars, but they do it a lot. Interesting. Well, we go back into the depths of the separatist base and the Jedi's exit from an elevator into a large foyer looking space. So this is the belly of the beast. And then a figure clad in a dark coat comes out. And Obi-Wan says, Ventress. And here I thought this mission would be unpleasant. Ooh hoo hoo. It's James Bond all over that, man. Very much so. The pleasure's all mine, my dear Obi-Wan. I've missed you. <laughs> and she strips her robe very sexily, and there is a ton of energy that has all of a sudden emerged. <laughs> that's, yes, that is a way to put that. I, <laughs> that's, that's all I think. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we were watching chronologically, this the first appearance of Ventress in all of Star Wars chronologically. But I love that this episode builds on what we've already seen in Arc Troopers, which we discussed already. This episode moves us into the Night Sisters arc, which is coming. And again, I've said I've said this. I, I, we just need something with Ventress to give it some energy. We need to see her doing a little bit more for Dooku and for the Separatist Army. Um, and this episode, I think, also showcases connection to Obi Wan, which we don't necessarily get, and that she has real talent and skills. She was fighting Anakin by herself before. Right. She's going to go a step further here, yeah? Fight, yeah, uh-huh. Well, in good news, we saved the deep dive on Asajj Ventress for this episode. We didn't do it when we hit Arc Troopers, so um, worthwhile stuff here. She is a Zabraki from Dathomir, so she is just like Darth Maul. Same species, yeah. same planet. Fortunately, no horns. <laughs> she missed the horns. She is 28 years old. In this episode, so she's nine years older than Skywalker and seven years younger than Obi-Wan. She's the apprentice of Darth Tyrannus. Count Dooku, yeah. And as we said in that Arc Trooper episode, which I just love the, our discussion of this element, she functions very similarly to Darth Vader and has a very similar story to Anakin. Yeah. She has that assassin with military authority thing going on. It's like she gets the yeah. special ops. Yeah, like a precision instrument when you need like really specific work done, you send her in. 
And again, so much like Anakin there. I, th- I think that's what Darth Vader's function is. Uh, her early story in Clone Wars is almost a dark mirror of everything we see with Skywalker. Like Anakin, she was enslaved when she was young. Like Anakin, she was rescued by a Jedi. Like Anakin, she started her training a little late and saw her mentor die. Like Anakin, this attachment was a foothold for the dark side. Like Anakin, she was employed and empowered by the Sith as a Jedi hunter. And just over and over and over again. Yeah, that's she's like a prototype Darth Vader. And we went through those, the dark number twos, and just how they have that similar storyline. But this one, she's really well executed. Yeah, really compelling, interesting character. Both to just to just watch in the way she's animated and looks and, and very very clear choices there. But then yeah, also in, in what she does and, and what she what she's choosing to do. Yep. And we'll save it for next time because I'm sure it'll come up. But there's a lot of Harley Quinn in this in this uh, character that we'll see uh, when we get into the next arc. The unfortunate thing, and I don't know how much to spoil on this, so maybe you can tell me what you want to hear. The culmination of her story is wonderful. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to know. It's not shown in the Clone Wars. It's Oh. It's told in a book. Oh. They, they had created all of season five. Nickelodeon d- didn't renew because Disney was going to purchase the property. Mm-hmm. They, uh, Lucas filmed, what is it, like 12 episodes of season six. But there were a couple of projects that were in the works. They had the storylines and they had done all the background. And I'm sure it's a ton of work to fact check everything and make sure all the pieces are in the right place. And, you know, when you're building a world. Oh, yeah. Well, they did a storyline with her in which her her story culminates in in season six, which is super interesting. It got turned into the book Dark Disciple. Okay. We can hold off on that, I suppose, for later. But how about this? Listener, if you if you wish and you want to hear what is a genuinely wonderful tale, if especially if you have already seen Clone Wars animated and know where this is going, it's it's really worth picking up just to see, you know, how her story plays out. I assume it ends well. One can only assume and hope. I mean, at some point she's going to have a culminating story that's in that book. So there you go. A little, little tease for you all there. We go back to the clones. Anything else we're saying about Ventress? Yeah, I mean, just she's she's clearly a fascinating character, and and clearly not one to be underestimated. Yeah, just yeah, really kind of a badass. Would have been easy to do a character like that and have him be kind of a throwaway and sort of dealt with in sort of an unsanctimonious, uninteresting way. But like she's in the fact that Obi Wan Kenobi clearly respects her. There's some weight automatically given there. She's she's right. important. Yeah, that's actually a good call. We've talked about how that works. In uh, in Star Wars, where the characters that you respect give somebody else weight that's new, and then it ends up making you feel more of an attachment to them. 100%. Yeah. I'm not sure that there's a more interesting character in all of Clone Wars animated than Ventress is. I don't think, and I don't think I realized it the first time I saw it. It was when I did mm. my second watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt that way about Jamie Lannister when I watched Game of Thrones the first time. Like I was like, oh, okay, I see where they're going now. Um, but watching it the second time, I was like, whoa, <laughs> they, there was a, there was really some moments there at the beginning. So this is the famous Book of Brothers. 
All the great deeds of all the great kings go out, huh? It's Arthur Dane. <laughs> the sword of the morning. <laughs> Sir Duncan the Tor. <laughs> Four pages for Sir Duncan. He must have been quite a man. So they say. Sir Jamie Lannister. Hmm? <laughs> Someone forgot to write down all your great deeds. There's still time. Is there? For a 40-year-old knight with one hand? Yeah, they do. there's a lot of interesting stuff with Jamie Lannister as, as the show goes on. That's how, that's how I felt with this character rewatching. I was like, oh, look at how much they're really doing with this character. So, um, and that's why of the, of the students that were kind of elevating, it's Ahsoka and it's the clones and it's Anakin, but I'm absolutely throwing this character in because, uh, of how much, uh, yeah, she does some, some really interesting stuff. So she knows how to rock a good outfit too. We go back to the clones. One clone whose name is Jester says, I... I, I don't know. I, I was doing the things I always do after a mission. Sculpting these sideburns. <laughs> things like what? I'm sorry, sir. I'm just a little nervous. You're my CO. The way I figure it, you tell the truth, you got nothing to be nervous about. The clone named Punch comes in. Jester is telling the truth. Cleans his weapon after every mission. First thing, every time. He's kind of obsessed that way. Is that right? You're cleaning your weapon? Yes, sir. Go on the computer while you were in here. Yeah. Were we going to want to check your browser history? Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that sounds like, this whole conversation. No, sir. It didn't even power it up. You can check. Yeah, one of my friends was over here, and they used the computer and looked all that stuff up. I promise. I thought it was weird and told them to stop. I have all sorts of things going. Oh, I know, right? I stopped there because I, like, I thought of a bunch of other things. <laughs> we could keep going for a while. Yeah. Keep this joke rolling. <laughs> Show me your weapon. Yep. Freshly scrubbed. Rags over there in the corner. Good man. Uh, not guilty? Great. Perfect. Move on. It's, uh, it's just, it's setting, it's setting up the rhythm and the tension and. You can't just jump to the end here. You gotta, you gotta do some, do some field work. Yeah, build to it. Turns to the next clone. You, you were cleaning your weapon too. No, I, I was hungry. Punch says. I went back to the mess. Right away. Oh yeah. Anyone with you? Sketch, sir. I suppose slick and sketch. Those are both some words that might. Yeah, like is that sketch is in like quickly draw something or is it like sketch because like he makes everybody uncomfortable yeah that's it like oh here comes I've... sketch and he stands real close to you <laughs> he's always behind you sketch says we got to the mess at the same time got our grub and sat together anyone else in the mess able to confirm what you two are saying lots of guys there ask any of them oh we will and then slick interrupts captain give me just a moment with them and then a Bald clone named Gus says, No, it's okay, Sarge. I got nothing to hide. I was in the infirmary. Got banged up pretty good by one of those clankers. Also, I used the computer. Gus is just <laughs> that honest. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> like a farting in an elevator. <laughs> right. It was me! 
Metroid was fixing me up. Doc's got all the records there, if you want to check. And we see that he has an arm bandage that's fresh. Then we turn to the last one, who looks withdrawn and angry. Big face burn scar. Real similar to Wrecker, actually. I didn't think about that till just mm -hmm. now. He's got the different colored eyes. So, Chopper, old boy, what's your alibi? It felt strange coming out of the mouth of Rex. I don't know that how often he's calling people chap or old yeah. boy. Yeah, it, that's not, yeah, uh -uh. I thought the same thing. Obi-Wan Kenobi would call somebody old boy, not, not. Right. Put a little tension into it, I think, is, is what ends up happening. It's like, that's him saying you're suspect. Yeah. Because they've ruled out everybody else. And so, clearly this is going to be the guy. Has to be. Who else could it be? Who could it, Who else could it be? The magician has shown you all the cards. Always in the mess hole. No, you weren't. And then one of the other clones stands up who's sketch. I mean, you... If you know something, kid, you should speak up. Chopper came in a lot later. After everyone else. All the clones begin to surround Chopper. Chopper, by the way, is the name of the droid the astromach droid in Rebels. Oh. Chopper's a fan favorite character once we get there. Right. Like I let a droid tell me how to place a puck. I'm in. And so the intercutting just back and forth between this like courtroom scene in the barracks and the fight between Obi-Wan, Ventress, and Anakin was kind of worthwhile like the the yeah. the energy of the fight actually spills over into the interrogation well and it's i know i've said this before but i mean it's something star wars has always done well they're able to yep. switch back and forth between very important things happening at once and and you're never you're never confused or bored or wishing they'd stayed on one and knock on to another like they're able to tell those two stories at the same time and it's it's always interesting yeah exactly well, we cut back to the Ventress ignites two red lightsabers. The Jedi respond with igniting theirs. My loyal informant let me know you were coming. Well then, we thank you for your hospitality. She runs up some stairs, taking the high ground, which we know is important. Oh, poor Anakin. And Anakin, just like in Sith, clearly angry rushes at her and obi-wan the tacticianer realizes what somebody does when somebody else has the high ground oh yeah just it's just one of those things i just know i know that every time this chess move is played you do this yeah <laughs> back to the barracks or rex says where were you before you went to the mess chopper nowhere walking around son you know we'll need a better answer than that <sighs> i was hiding at the south exit. Didn't want anyone to see me string these together. And he pulls out this chain of small metal objects. Battle droid fingers. I just, I just wanted something back. I guess I felt like, like they owed me. Two great things going on here. They owed him something. And we clearly know why. And they didn't need to say that his face almost got blown off and the you know his eyes discolored now yeah it's just it's there and you can read into it 
and it's very it's it's clean and just understated like so many that so many times they do the understated thing and it, it just works for me it's that they took something from me and i'm gonna take something from them yep kind of trope and and they didn't need to tell you they just showed you yep what they took the other side is this is a side of war that we're familiar with and it's the collection of the remains of your enemy and that's a brutal idea yeah the old keychain full of fingers there's a I looked this up on the Wikipedia under human trophy collecting, which is oh man, you're gonna get some interesting targeted ads. <laughs> there, 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 there was some really fascinating historic details about like what certain people groups did, and uh, you know, from you know necklaces filled with human ears to we cut off the tips of noses to count casualties on the other side. You know, to be people would string teeth together, you know, into necklaces that would be like, here's Ugh. Oh God, a necklace of teeth. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Right? That is the worst thing I've ever heard. I mean, that strikes me as this toxic masculine uh way of being in the world in those spaces, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, I, I suppose some of the outfits that are that warriors use are of that sort, but they're with animals. So you have the you know, the headdress made out of a lion's mane or, you know, this, this is in black Panther a lot. You have the, the skull of an ape right. as your mask, you know, something like that. It's, it's this dead thing that I killed and now I'm wearing the trophy, but when it becomes like a human, something, something. Ugh. Yeah. It's freak. It makes me think of the Anthony Hopkins and Antonio Banderas Zorro film mm. where at, Remind the, me. at the beginning of the movie, you see, Antonio Banderas and his brother, they're, they're tied to the back of a wagon to be, to be put into slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they try to escape, and his brother gets killed, and he ends up running away. And then years later, he's back at the same mine where the same guy is running it, and he talks about trophies. And they're like, oh, well, let's you know drink to whatever. And he pulls out a jar of, of, that's, got his, that's got his brother's head in it. Wow. That he's just kept because he's like, yeah, I like to think that like drinking this gives me something of like my enemies. So that's the first thing we talk about, like keeping human trophies. I was thinking of that movie because I, I remember seeing that as a, as a kid and being like, that's hellish. Oh, my <laughs> God. I mean, it's, I still feel like it's hellish as an adult, but as a, as, a, as a younger kid, it was more like, oh, 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 God, that's the worst thing you could do. <laughs> and then when they, when any, and then uh, Antonio Banderas' character has his cup, puts it in, drinks it, and then like smarts off to the guy and leaves, and you're like, oh, and you drank it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, there it is. I mean, it's this like over-the-top masculine display. Like anything with the show Criminal Minds, where it's always like, oh, that guy has made a bunch of wind chimes out of uh, rib cages. <laughs> or, you know, there was I one episode of that show they do, they, they try to find this killer and they go into like a country shop and it's full of taxidermy stuff. Right. Like taxidermed animals. But they keep talking about how weird and lifelike the eyes are. And you find out mm. that each of the victims that this guy has in this in this episode killed has put the victim's human eyes into like raccoons that he has taxidermed so it's just like really trophies like it's just horrible 
my my brain went a completely strange place. It went to hot shots and and you know, uh, what's his oh bucket? Boy. Uh, Charlie the, Sheen going up to a girl and saying, "I have my father's eyes." And the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the most common uh, human trophy is obvious. Well, at least in our culture, the thing that came to my mind first, I should say, is our scalps, mm. and, and that became something in North America. That on on all sides like that that was common in the Civil War the American Revolution it didn't have to do just with native peoples right but more recently the the place you see human trophies is with movies about psychopaths yeah and apparently this is quite true about serial killers that they keep something well yeah that's like the I mean I mentioned the show Criminal Minds like that's one of the things they really talk about that these people or, or even the show Dexter I mean he keeps those are his trophies he keeps the slides of victims blood yep I've never looked into the psychology of that myself because uh, because I, I guess I don't care to know <laughs> but like why you would need to right. though as I look across the room like my wall is adorned with posters from plays that I've done and I'm like well why do you need to keep those it's like because I want to know that I did those I guess that's why you would do that that's why it's psychopaths keeping those terrible things your 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 posters are about emotion and relationships and connection well but but and that's what I'm making the connection of like for those characters it's the same thing it's just hellish there you go some of the plays were hellish but for different reasons We've talked about how uh, Silence of the Lambs is one of your favorites, but I think one of the best lines, because it's one of the few places where Clarice... Kind of bests him. Yeah, is when they're talking about the trophies. that uh, he uh, Lecter says, why do they call him Buffalo Bill? And she says, at first it was a joke, but he was skinning victims and keeping the skins. Uh, and she goes into how, you know what, the, this is true of most psychopaths, uh, uh, or serial killers that they keep something and Lecter wants to scare her. And he says, I didn't. <laughs> and she fires back. No, you ate yours in that great, and like you... West Virginia accent that she does. <laughs> <laughs> and you see it on his face. Oh, she's talented. And then he does what she wanted him to do, which was like to look at a file or look at, you know, the case file that she brought. Yeah, he doesn't he push open the the drawer? Yep. Yeah, that show of dominance, that show of power that I'm terrified and I'm putting out these things into the world. It's it's a, And I think that's who this character is in the Clone Wars. The worst story you want, this <laughs> that I read on was a U.S. House member presented FDR with a letter opener made from a Japanese soldier's forearm and <laughs> the story got out and the archdiocese of tokyo asked them to return it which he did Ugh. and that leads you down a whole new rabbit trail one that sounds like a house member who's uh, serving today i don't know if he's still there but i mean it sure sounds like that kind of person is still in congress yeah and two Oftentimes in museums, you'll see body parts, like uh, like skeletal pieces. There's a very big uh, e- Egyptian mummy exhibit in yeah. in the Field Museum in Chicago, and like you're 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 realizing like there's one they have a, it's half unwrapped, and you like you, yeah. you can stand and stare into the very shockingly well preserved face of what yeah. used to be a human man, and 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 at first you're like this is a museum, but then you sit there for a minute and you're like, 
This used to be a living th- guy. <laughs> Holy crap. I think we talked about it just recently, but uh, as museums around the world are, are now having to, or rightly surrendering yeah. things that they've stolen, you know, including, I mean, this is how crazy Western civilization is at times. I, I suppose for myself, it, it's just so much part of my culture. Somebody just needs to say to me, hey, do you realize that that's a body part of a human being from this part of the world, and they've put it on display for probably the same reasons to show dominance, see how amazing our culture is. And so it's not just, it's just not, it's not just psychopaths. Well, I mean, maybe it is psychopaths, but this time they, they are the ones in charge of the museums and the rest. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's uncomfy. But there is, there's rightly so there's an ethic to this person has been dead for a thousand years or a few hundred years and you still are treating their body with honor and respect. That ends up being, you know, that that's always the conquerors always do the opposite, you know. Yes, you, uh-huh. it's one of the reasons that uh, what you heard this about, like William Wallace. I think it happens in the Braveheart movie where they they cut his body up into pieces and mm-hmm. bury it in different corners of the country, and it's it's the idea that you because <laughs> they're because they're Christians. The idea is apparent if if your body's separated, you can't be resurrected. You know, is the idea there. I think God would have no clue how to get everything back together again, yeah, I'm like, sure. He's but, not going to be able to figure out how to put four pieces back together. But but it's kind of like a symbol of that. So anyway, I found that just deeply fascinating, so it went down the rabbit hole. Well, I mean... Droid fingers. It's like the ultimate dehumanizing thing. I mean, that's what happened when Oliver Cromwell died. He was buried, then they dug him up and drew and quartered him because it's, like, yep. it's like really saying... We didn't like you. Yeah. And you have no value. Granted, that guy sucked, but still pretty awful. Desecrating grave sites, I imagine, is it's just a thing. Uh, even even when you don't pull the whole body up, you know. I, I, like, have you heard of anything like that? Well, yeah, I was going to say, again, just to reference the Field Museum in Chicago. Yeah. The, in, when you first get into that Egyptian... Uh, wing and that where they have the mummies and, and whatnot they have sort of a recreated tomb and the little placard says this tomb was empty when we found it it had been stolen from like all, oh, all the gotcha. time that, that throughout the right. years as people have you know learned about egyptian culture and realized that you know hey they buried these dead bodies with like jewelry and and finery and riches and whatever people started stealing yeah. from them so there, there there's a whole museum exhibit dedicated to like there was almost nothing in here when we got to it that's interesting interesting well chopper saying that he wanted something back and that they owed him gus chips in i always knew there was something deficient about you <laughs> sketch Slick. is like boy i thought my name was sketch but this <laughs> is just some uncomfortable behavior so Slick says, Slick's played his hand real subtle. Real slick. This isn't good, Chopper. Lying about where you were, taking forbidden items from a battlefield. Which it's a good thing the Republic knows that this should not happen, even with droids. And you want to know why they shouldn't do this with droids? Because droids have souls. I know. I put up with the attitude because you have skill. But if you could break these rules, your whole character's in question here really pushing very hard to incriminate this guy like in, in yeah. kind of a like methinks he doth protest too much 
in retrospect, the one guy who clearly hates the Separatists more than anybody is this dude who had his face half blown off and is collecting, you know, trophies off of droids. Yeah. He, this is probably not the person motive-wise who yeah, is going to... The, the dots don't connect. Right? Wait, no. Hang on. I'm no spy. And he's clearly surrounded, and then we do another cut. We see Ventress, and she's holding her own with these two Jedi. And so we know she's 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 got what it takes. She can be on the team, Coach. Yes, she can. And she throws a large metal cabinet at Obi-Wan, who cuts it in half. It's a good image out of Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I love that part. When when Vader starts throwing stuff at Luke. Oh, me too. It's on. It's such it's it's a top five moment for me, that fight in the in bowels of, of Cloud City. Just love it. Back to the barracks, and there's a discussion between Slick and Chopper. Chopper, we're all brothers. But how can we trust anything you say now? No, sir, I'm telling you, I did not It's okay. We'll get you a proper investigation. You don't have to say anything till the Jedi come back and talk to you. Maybe you should talk, sir. Tell them where you went. Gasp. It was, this is when the magician says, oh, and by the way, I have another card, which, mm-hmm. and they've been playing this throughout the entire time. It's your men, your men, your men. I was at the south exit, remember? I saw you go in, sir. I saw you. Did you use the computer when you were in there? <laughs> How to betray friends. <laughs> Question mark. That was, I saw a guy who actually got convicted of murder because he searched for how do you kill your wife and get away with it. What like a, they found, they found that like in the under, you know, uh, under all the layers in his, uh, in his history. He like left the tab open in like the private search <laughs> on his phone. Yep. But you gotta close those out. <laughs> Idiot. What a stupid thing to do. <laughs> yeah. How He's, to get away with murder. Literally, not a joke. Essentially, how it went. And then Slick says, Chopper, I have been patient. Everyone else turned right toward the barracks and the mess. You turned left toward the command center. Where were you going, sir? Obviously, the kid feels cornered. And then Cody steps in. Sergeant, what did you mean till the Jedi come back? How did you know the Jedi were gone? And then there's a great shot of all the clones kind of looking at the camera. And it's, it, it's just for a moment, but it makes you feel uneasy. Because mm-hmm. when people look at the camera, it's like, that's another Silence of the Lambs thing. <laughs> makes you feel uncomfortable. I really wish you hadn't noticed that, sir. He punches Cody in the face, and a fight ensues, <laughs> and he takes off. Yeah, just right away, yeah. And then Cody... Who, by the way, should never be hired to be a detective. <laughs> it's Slick. Called it. Slick's the traitor? Back to the duel. Ventress throws a dozen books at the Jedi. And you want to know why, Daniel? Because the pen, you see. The oh pen my God. is mightier than the sword. It's war. Quoting. A favorite film for Mothershed. <laughs> <laughs> what is she doing with books? She's like using the force. She's getting it all ready. It's like these are going to go at him. <laughs> Ooh, books. And then Kenobi like catches them in the air and sets them aside. It's like, I don't know that that was going to do a lot of damage. No. You know what? That, that weapon in your right hand could probably 
do just fine. Yeah, you know, you know what a lightsaber is seems to be almost like <laughs> specifically designed to do: cut through books. <laughs> then we see Rex and Cody on the roof, and Rex is looking at a tracker on his wrist. I've got someone by the gunships. That's uh, Slick. Now that he's exposed, he has to get out of this base. There's no escape now, you piece of rankweed. That's good. That's a good insulting term. It's a killer insult. Yeah. <laughs> they then come around a corner. And a bomb has been set as a trap. And then suddenly bombs start going off all over the place, Joker style. Mm -hmm. um, there's tanks on fire. There are clones fleeing the barracks. Cody says, He took out our weapons depot. He knew where we'd look. He's not trying to escape. He knows all our moves before we even make them. This sets up what we're going to see in a second here because slick has destroyed a lot of their military weaponry. And then we see Ventress sitting cross-legged waiting for Obi-Wan and Anakin. And maybe this is the trap she's drawing them into. Give up Ventress. I'm all yours. Obi-Wan. They're standing over a glass floor. That's eh, got a Jabba's palace thing going on here. Maybe. Oh Yeah. She ignites her lightsabers, it shatters the glass floor, and she again has the high ground. Ventress. You've served your purpose. We have to get back. Now. It's already too late. So hard to know whom to trust these days, isn't it? What's the plan, Master? Bringing us here was a mistake, my sweet. You've overestimated your abilities. Really? Here it is. I have the higher ground, and Anakin says, you underestimate my power. Zip, zip. Literally, in that situation. <laughs> no more arms or legs. It, all, all of this has some, a lot of Sith. The only thing missing is, is uh, Obi-Wan yelling at Ventress, I loved you, you know? <laughs> Which may, you know, I mean, I suppose he, she, he does say, my sweet. Yeah. That seemed, that seemed rather affectionate. It does. It it really does. Like that's you don't. I've never said that to anybody. I think they got drunk one night, and uh, nobody else was around. And I mean, why do we need to fight? <laughs> as you yourself said, the energy after the robe dropping that was palpable <laughs> it was all there. Yeah, yeah. Could you blame the guy? Uh, come it, on. Who doesn't like it? Never mind. Cuts through a window. Come and get me, boys. Just playing hard to get this Ventress. In kind of like an antagonistic way, too. Like just she's like she I think she's so aware of everything that's at her disposal as a character. Mm -hmm. Well, then we see a large number of separatist ships. And these are the ones that are able to deliver a thousand troops and a bunch of tanks, and they're all arriving on the planet. You didn't tell us you were bringing friends. Poor Obi-Wan. You've been betrayed, and now we're about to take control of this world. There it is. Everything just kind of is falling apart here at the end. Mm-hmm. Back to Rex and Cody. How do we get this guy? Sir, Slick ran into the command center. You guys stay here. Seal the perimeter. Bounce back. It's just those quick cuts. Obi-Wan and Anakin are fighting Ventress on top of that tank, but she clearly has a large army behind her. So they decide, eh, 
it's time to flee. <laughs> in the in the words of uh, in the words of King Arthur, run away. <laughs> that's that's exactly what happens. It's like one of the few times they fold their hands. Mm-hmm. Funny scene here. That's that's real subtle. They both jump onto speeders with battle droids on them. They're those speeders that are kind of upright. And one of them chucks a battle droid to the side, and he just goes, bah! Yep. <laughs> oh. Just a wily e. coyote fall there. Yeah, the head stays in frozen in, t- in frozen in space while the body goes away. Holds <laughs> up a right. sign that says help. <laughs> <laughs> Ran across YouTube that said, what, all four and a half hours of the Warner Bar- Brother cartoons. It was like, man, I could hit play. They probably shouldn't. Oh, easily. I have a Star Wars podcast to prep. <laughs> yeah, I, I could easily lose four hours to that. That's amazing. When I was a kid, I had a, a buddy whose mom was an art dealer, and they had a couple of cells from the original Warner Brothers, and oh. I was always just fascinated. They were so cool to look at. Well, because like those were really works of art. Like Every background, yeah, every scene, like, were just absolutely. beautiful paintings. Like. They sold for a lot of money. One of my one of my favorite things somebody put out the um, I don't know if it was I don't know whose rules it was, but it was like the official rules for why Wiley Coyote was funny, and 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 the rules <laughs> that must be abided by. Like sure. he must never actually catch the Roadrunner. He must never actually. And it was fascinating to me. Yeah, I remember reading it to the people I was with, and just a lot of blank stares. I'm like, don't you get why this is so interesting? No, they did not. Can I make that. A guy proud because he's a super genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's wh- that's why when he gets hit by a train because he was being dumb, is all the kids go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he deserved it. Yeah. But it's the thing of like he can't ever catch the roadrunner because yeah, what would he do with him when he caught him? Right. <laughs> it's like in the. It's like in the What's Opera doc with Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Like he kills Elmer Fudd and is d- devastated. Yep. Or is yes. he, he kills. He thinks he kills Bugs Bunny and he right. is heartbroken. Like that is a work of genius. That whole episode is so good. Pull widow widow wabbit. Yep. And it's just all the Wagner. Like it's it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant cartoon. Well, Ventress turns to the commander. One worm loathsome. If you thought that slick was bad, <laughs> oh yeah, worm loathsome. Like that's just like, did you pick that name or were you given that name? Prepare to march on the city. Have General Loathsome delay the Jedi as long as possible. I will need time to execute the next part of my master's plan. Yes, mistress. Again, just something really important here that she is under her master's control. She has a master, just needs to get, get established. And again, yeah. she is executing the plan with precision and, and hanging with the folks. Yeah. A lot of this stuff, though, that we're seeing right now, these large separatist delivery ships arriving, is the movement that picks up at the beginning of the Clone Wars animated movie. So, worth noting there. Oh, for, yeah, yeah. So if you were if you were to go back and watch it for fun, that's what they that's where they're at. Apparently, actually, they they just they grab the end of this arc. Well, then we see Rex and Cody from Slick's point of view, and Slick is up in the ventilation system. Pretend you're Slick. What's in your head? 
My cover's blown, it's time to go. But I decide not to use a ship because it's too obvious. They then, one of them sees him in the vent above, and they start positioning themselves. The lockdown. He wants to get around the lockdown. He's blinded us by taking out the power. He could disable the entire security system. Yeah, but he knows we'd expect him to do that. Or does he? Yeah, I see what you're getting at. Go to the south exit. What are you gonna do? I'll stay here. Get the power back up. That'll help. Got it. And all the while, Cody is intentionally leaving a firearm in a very accessible place underneath Slick. And Rex exits the room. And Slick apparently has lots of bombs, lots of access to all the things, but didn't grab a gun. Not very slick. Oh. Slick jumps out of the ventilation system, grabs the gun. Cody's back is turned. He picks up the gun to shoot the commander. And Cody says, Hey there, Slick. The gun's empty. And then Rex from behind. You know what's funny? Traitor, we knew you'd never take a chance on the exits while they were blocked. I'd stay here to open them myself first. Just like you. Don't do a job till you've guaranteed the best odds, right? You knew I was here. Of course we knew. You think we wouldn't have a plan? I'm not the traitor. You are! Just blistering retort. And then a fight ensues. And this is actually a music variation behind this from the Attack of the Clone Speeder music I read on. Huh. Fun fact. Yeah, I'm sure that all you were. All of you just blindly following orders! For what? Apparently we're going to do the villain monologue. Yeah, what, what, why don't you tell us what you got out of this? <laughs> so I need to explain myself and be defensive. At least I got something out of all this suffering! Yeah, I bet you sold out your brothers for some real shiny coin, huh? Yes, she offered me money, but she offered me something more important, something you wouldn't understand. Freedom! Worth talking about for two seconds here at the end. We have done the deserter episode. Yeah, we say this is the, what the second instance. This keeps coming up mm -hmm. for Rex. So if we if we assume this happens before the you know chronologically it it happens before the deserter episode. So they're teasing this as something they really want to talk about with Rex. Yeah, it's brilliant. I like it after the deserter because mm -hmm. actually you got a guy. Slick, who's yelling in his face, and Rex could actually say, no, I know exactly what you're saying, doing, and I think you're doing it in an awful way. Yeah. Well, Rex subdues Slick and says, I think freedom's gonna have to wait, kid. Then Obi-Wan arrives. Slick, it was you. He gave us a bit of a chase, sir. You couldn't be a greater disappointment. How could you do this to your brothers? Uh, Anakin's never going to have anything happen in his life. That no, uh-uh. Something similar. <laughs> Only a Jedi would ask that. It's the Jedi who keep my brothers enslaved. We do your bidding. We serve at your whim. I just want something more. <laughs> that, that sounds very similar to Anakin's yes. mindset. It, 
I almost identical. And all you had to do to get it was put the rest of us all at risk. I... I love my brothers. You're too blind to see it. But I was striking a blow for all clones. If you loved your brothers, you wouldn't have put them at risk. You betrayed every one of us. Take him to lock up. I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you kids and this silly dog. Yeah, if it wasn't for you meddling Jedi. <laughs> Were you able to salvage anything from the weapons depot? Slick pretty much scorched the whole thing. That seemed to be what he was going for all along. A lot of viruses on all of our computers now, too. Just <laughs> so much malware. <laughs> we managed to save the heavy cannons, though. Well, that's good. Because there are about a thousand battle droids on their way here. The fight goes on, gentlemen. Cut to credits. It's a good final line. Yeah. And again, the animated film picks up right here and you'll recognize all of it when you when you start it so yeah um yeah any final words on on this episode it's it's a good like thinking about it as like a quote second episode like it, it is a really good like it introduces a bunch of people and sets up a lot of things yeah again i love this just for the character building and specifically we need something to set up what we're going to see next time with Ventress because there is so much emotion for her. So real similar to what we did with, uh, to start the binge, we did landing at Point Rain, which had Anakin and Ahsoka just being Mm -hmm. fun. But then Weapons Factory has them both essentially in places where they're sacrificing their lives for the other. And you can't just jump into that. No. You got to set it up with some character moments. So, so that's what we got. And then, so jumping into this next arc, you, you all should watch this Mothershed when you got that free time. This is season three, episode 12, 13, and 14. Our next few episodes are going to be on that arc. It's the Night Sisters arc. And that's where we're going. And that's going to wrap up act one for us and our students. And then we move into act two. Really had to resist. You said act two, and I really had to resist the temptation to say, God bless you. <laughs> What normally happens in Act 2 in Shakespeare? It's a... Oh, it depends. Usually that's when the lovers decide to run into the forest or, you know, the first couple of people that the evil guy who shouldn't be king uh, get murdered. We're going with the latter on this one. I figured. Our Act 2 is called Darkness, and it's when you think everything broke in Act 1. It really snaps yeah, this next time around. It, it's not completely broken. Don't worry. We can break <laughs> it some more. Well, the binge list is linked to our Twitter feed, uh, everything that we've released. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to look at that, you can see where we're going. Our Twitter handle is aptly named Star Wars Binge. And as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion to those who love a galaxy far, far away. And I say this all the time, but just if you share it with just one person, it means the world to us. And of course, if you've gotten this far, we would love for you to give us some stars and a review on iTunes. So we can uh, keep this sucker going. This is true. Music is by John Williams, Ludwig Gorenson, Samuel Kim, and the great Kevin Kiner. And everything that is created here was done by the fantastic artists at Lucasfilm. Got any last thoughts? No. Don't name your kid Slick. That is a good one. <laughs> He's Daniel Mothershed. I put up with the attitude because you have skill. <laughs> 
And I'm Jeff Cook. Someone forgot to write down all your great deeds. And you know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. This, my man, is the way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Were we going to want to check your browser history? Oh, God. You're listening to the Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim. Yeah, one of my friends was over here, and they used the computer and looked all that stuff up, I promise. I thought it was weird and told them to stop. Uh, where are we at? Uh, we were talking about... What the hell were we talking about? 